Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mark Groves Podcast. I'm excited to talk to you about something a little different this week, something that has been sort of top of mind that I've wanted to explore. And I'm going to explore in a deeper level as well, you know, not with just this podcast episode, but in further ones. And it first sort of came to me when I was doing a TEDx talk about three or four years ago, uh, which was an incredible experience. I got to tell you, because it took, I'm so used to like long form conversation or long form expression, but I had to fit sort of my thesis or my, what I thought would most benefit people into an 18 minute talk. So if you've never watched my TEDx talk, please do. It's just Google Mark Groves TEDx and you'll see it. I also saw another really incredible talk that was on ethical fashion and like where you invest your money is really where you invest in your values and, and, and your beliefs. Like we're so privileged really to get a garment and not think about all the people that have interacted in that garment and how they've been treated. And, you know, when we think about big brands that have been under fire for these things and, and also if you, I think it's under, uh, on podcast, I think it's on a show called broken, but there's a numerous, there's numerous shows and documentaries that are about how we're, we're just such throwaway culture with things like we get something, we use it. It doesn't, it's not meant to last long. Um, and so we just buy a new shirt or a new thing. And this is very much true of, you know, different brands like H&M, Zara, like they're low cost pieces of fashion. And with fashion trends, trends changing all the time, you don't really think about there's a massive level of consumption that goes into that. Recently, my oh gosh, it feels like recently, but it now feels like a lifetime ago. I was giving a talk in New York in December last year. I love that I said recently, just so I could feel like I'm traveling again. That I've, oh, I was in New York recently. I was in New York. I was there almost a year ago. And I was giving a talk with my friend Vienna Farron from Mindful MFT. If you don't follow her on Instagram, she's incredible. She's a marriage and family therapist in Manhattan. And she hosts a monthly talk. And I was the guest that month. And it was hosted at the Faraday store in Soho in Manhattan. And I got to know the Faraday's brand. I'd heard about it. And I really, you know, God, I got to tell you, I like touched their shirts. And I'm like, these are the softest, most amazing clothes. They make them for men and women. They're just incredible clothes. And they're sort of like surf culture meets metropolitan, which is like my favorite thing that you could be dressed up or go to the beach and you can, I just love beach vibes. I think we should all love beach vibes and mountain vibes. And they have blankets that are so soft. Anyways, I was exposed to these fabrics and I'm like, oh my Lord, this is incredible. And I was giving a talk about breakups. So who doesn't want a little caressing as, you know, I was kind of in that zone of, I was like, I don't think I'm going to cry during this talk. And of course, you know, if you listen to my podcast episodes from around that time during the breakup, you know, there was a few waterworks going on. And hey, I'm not about getting in the way. When the when the waterfall starts, you just let it come because that's a, a release, you know, you allow your body to release. And interestingly, the chemical composition of tears of joy are different than tears of happiness. That tells you there's something going on from a molecular level that's different. So you got to trust the biology. So um, I'm there, there's soft garments, and I am emotional, and I get to know Carrie, 
And that's one of the owners of Faraday's and, you know, had since developed a relationship with, with them, her and her husband, Alex, and his brother, Mike. And I was so intrigued that this brand, when I looked it up, that they were all about operating ethically. They have a lifetime warranty on their clothes. So if you have a problem with your shirt and it's been nine years, you can get that taken care of. I mean, that's incredible. That's like saying we believe in our product, which is going to obviously motivate them to make a good product, but also that they source from really beautiful places, that everything is done with the earth in mind. And that meant a lot to me. I mean, if you listen to this podcast, you know that the relationship to the planet is so important to me. It should be important to all of us, in my opinion. So if it isn't, you better get right with that shit. I was so fascinated that this couple and these twin brothers, you know, were all working together. And I thought, like, what is it like to be in a relationship and, you know, run a company together? And how does that work relationally? And where do you separate work and life? And is that even possible? And how do you handle conflict? And has it led to benefiting your relationship or actually hindering it? And so I wanted to bring them on the podcast to share some of their experience and some of their wisdom and also about the brand, because I think it's important that we support local people, local companies, and companies that are about sustainability and treating our planet with reverence and love. I wanted to take a quick break in this episode to talk to you about the greatest struggle that people have in dating, and that is asking the right questions. And not just the right questions, but asking hard questions. Questions that determine if someone wants what you want, what you are, what your relationship status is, that that deepen vulnerability and intimacy. And ultimately, asking the right questions allows you to get to know someone on a deeper level, gets to know their values, get to know whether they're a good fit for you. Now, I recognize that When I get feedback on asking questions, people say that's too hard to ask or it's too soon to ask that or whatever the excuse or thought or feeling or fear might be. And so I thought, shit, let me ask the hard questions. And that's why I created Create the Love Cards. Create the Love Cards is created with such intention for you to deepen your conversations on dating. And because of that, the deck, when you open it up, it fits two smartphones. So you can put your phone inside the box as you take the cards out so you can both be present. Now, if someone doesn't want to play, I'm like, swipe left. That's a red flag. Like, who doesn't want to play a game? Second, I've got it in four sections. So we've got foreplay, diving deeper, too much information, because would it be a deck from me if it didn't have TMI, and building chemistry. So there's four sections for you to explore the landscapes of one another and see if you're a good fit. If you want to have deeper conversations, if you want to take this deck of cards on your dates or on your date night, or you think this would be a good gift for a couple, then go to createthelove.com slash cards. I put them at a really accessible price of 30 bucks, and I can't wait for you to check them out. They've received rave reviews. People are loving them. I have actually one friend who took them out on its second date with someone that she was hitting it off with. And after she got the answers to the questions that the deck provided, she realized that this person was not a good fit and swiped left and now is in a relationship with someone she loves. So that's what dating is about, is it's about filtering. And also my intention is to support you along that journey to not just finding the person that you want, 
but if you're with them, asking the questions that help create and deepen intimacy. So go to createthelove.com slash cards and grab a set now. So it is in this episode, you get to chat with that couple, Alex and Carrie Faraday. And, you know, I got to tell you, I love a brand that is bringing subjects about mental health to the forefront and using their influence and spaces in order to do that. So I wanted to be able to do that back for them, to to have them come and share. What is it like to be a couple and work together and run a company with your husband's twin brother as well, right? Interesting. So without further ado, here is The Faradays. I'm excited today to have two of the founders of Faraday Brand, which if you don't know, now you know Faraday is my favorite brand. It's basically like wearing blankets that look cool. Very stylish blankets. I feel like your shirts make love to my skin all the time. If that's creepy and awkward, that's okay. Welcome to the podcast, Carrie Doherty and Alex Faraday. What's up? Crowd goes wild. <laughs> right. Well, the reason I wanted to have you on is one, I think like whenever a brand that is like environmentally friendly that, I mean, your brand is about sustainability and all those things. And I found your brand before I found you. And I, you know, in a world where that's not something that's prioritized, I think that's really important when we're putting the planet over profit. And so you've really done that. So I want to acknowledge you for that because I think that's a rare find. Thanks, Mark. Can we also specify that this is not sponsored? <laughs> it really isn't. I People are like, did you bring them on to talk? No, this is purely from my own heart. If you don't hear the passion, you know, because it was really important to me when investing, I went to an ethical fashion talk and it was the first time I really thought about where you put your money is where you actually invest in your own values and your own principles. And I remember Googling like sustainable brands, brands that care about the environment that have <laughs> great style, you know, because that's important too. And uh, your brand came up and we just happened to be serendipitously connected when Vienna Farron from Mindful MFT did a talk and your store sort of like co-sponsored the talk, which is for free in the area it's in Soho. Yeah, exactly. We love Vienna. Yeah. So I love how it was all sort of brought together. And, you know, and the fact that you are partners who run work together, I, I man, people probably have a hard time with normal teammates, but when your partner is also your workmate, that's got to present some extra juiciness. Let's call it juiciness, but it'd probably be challenges too. It's a total breeze, I gotta say. <laughs> sarcasm. Sorry. This is show has an approved sarcasm rating. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, I think working together brings up um it brings up all the things. We read a book once called For Better or For Work. How to navigate oh. marriage with uh with working with your with your partner. So it's been a journey, but it's definitely I think helped us deepen our relationship because we haven't been able to avoid things that we probably would have been able to avoid had not work come into play. Yeah. We would, I would just be not communicating with my wife and having a great time. <laughs> be so right. Gosh, so many of us never take have notes. any hard conversations. <laughs> right. But It'd you be, have to, because it'd be a layup. 
Yeah, it would be simple. I mean, so many, I mean, what you're saying is so true of men. And this is not picking on men, but this is true in the research that we tend to be more avoidant. We're more conflict avoidant. We don't have the tools to communicate emotionally. But when it comes to business, and, you know, it doesn't matter if that's the motivator, like, hey, we got to figure out how to make this workplace work. Uh, and isn't it crazy how correlated that is the same skill, but it's socially uh, encouraged for men to develop it in the workplace, but not in a romantic relationship. So, you know, you guys have both been called to have to, which I think it, that can be a good thing. Yeah, it's definitely been a good thing. I mean, it's been hard and we've I'm grateful for therapy, like both individually and as a couple. I also work with Alex's identical twin brother and his mom. And so it's a real (laughs) family business. And so kind of under the guise of corporate coaching, we all started going to therapy last year with a great coach who really helped us kind of like unearth the things that were coming up, which was like identities, are our needs being met? How do we communicate? What makes us feel loved? What makes us feel appreciated? Expectations of each other in the workplace. All of those things. Mm, All the juicy stuff that requires vulnerability and transparency. Because it's so much harder to communicate an expectation because you might be let down. So you might as well just not tell them it. So you can almost certainly be let down. You know, that's usually what happens. Yeah. Yeah, because you have to bring it home. You got to sleep on it. You got to sleep with it. That, um... You know, we, we've been doing this for seven and a half years. And I think there's just like over time, a lot of things get bottled up that you don't even know because it's all under this like confusing realm of this. Is this work or is this our relationship? And I think also Karen and I are, are relatively easygoing people who our relationship for most of our life, like didn't have anything hard in it. Like it was mm. a pretty easy relationship. Um, and then once the company started, that became sort of this all-encompassing thing that took over our individual lives and also like our married life. So throw a couple kids in there and uh, <laughs> a couple extra triggers just to, just to, yeah, not sleep. Cause then you deal with your feelings and emotions a lot better when you're sleep deprived. <laughs> right. That's, I think they recommend that you should just put on, put on a 24 hour watch and then have a conversation. That's hard. Yeah, well, because the birth of the company was after the birth of your relationship. So do you want to walk people through like how you met, how that led to, you know, where the company was birthed, what your idea was of what you were going to do with your life first, Carrie, before, you know, you know, before life happened, as they say, what is it? Life happens when we're busy making other plans. Totally. Yeah, we met the first day of college in La Clase de Espanol, which means Mm. Spanish class. (laughs) we became friends first and Alex would always borrow my homework to um, study for the tests and started dating sophomore year. Yeah. Nice move. Started dating sophomore year. I went to law school. We broke up for a couple of years when I was in law school, he was still in New York, came back. And I think we always knew deep down, we would probably end up together. And then I became a lawyer and was doing human rights work and started teaching meditation and Alex and Mike, I'll let him say it, but like, this has really been their, their dream. And I remember when I first started dating him him being like, one day, my brother and I are going to have a clothing company. 
and me being like, cool, dude. And when they, <laughs> when they launched the brand, it was just all hands on deck and yeah. like a typical good white woman, I make my decision decisions based on psychics and a psychic <laughs> <laughs> told me you're swimming against the current and you should, uh, you should jump, jump on board at Faraday. They need you. And so I, I came on board probably a month after you guys technically started the brand. Wow. And how did Spanish, that Spanish class? Spanish, yeah, Spanish, Spanish class, class. <laughs> with your smooth, I need help with my homework. Yeah. yeah. It's out of a, I think I, that's I, out I, of a um, college playbook. I had this like amazing, incredible Hulk t-shirt that I had from high school and my board shorts. And I'd come in, I, I played sports in college. So I'd have to get up early for working out. I would just come in like sweaty and gross and smell like metal. <laughs> and uh, carry stall through that. It's like, that's my man. You're like, that's good. I can smell his testosterone. <laughs> so that bringing um, Carrie into the business, what did that look like? Because of course, like you were saying this, uh, Carrie, you were saying that their dream was to have this company. And, you know, I, uh, when we first recorded this and the mic wasn't so good, I remember sharing with uh, you both that uh, there's a support site for people who date twins. Um, because I'm dating an identical twin too. And we sort of laugh about it. I laugh about the support site because the joke is, is that you'll never be as important as the twin. So you need a support site to get you through it. And so I'm curious. Yeah, I number seven on the list. <laughs> in the priority. <laughs> I was like, first Mike, then my mom, then the business, then our daughter, then our son, and then you. <laughs> well, good. We could talk through all of this as we're... <laughs> walking through the story so how did it how did that integration come or or where was the i guess the merger so um uh, when i yeah when we were we had made the decision that we we're going to start the company uh in 2012 so in intense in, in anticipation of that i told carrie that mike was going to move in with us and we were going to all move to an apartment together perfect that was amazing. It was like, like my me, you, and Dupree. Yeah. I mean, for me, it was great. I get to live with my twin brother. So I, yeah. I had no problems with it. Actually, very excited about it. And I don't think Carrie really had a say in it. But I was she, seemingly fine with it. She I was seemingly fine with it. And uh, and then we started the business in 2013 in March. And, um, you know, we're waking up, working, you know, around the clock, Mike and I. And when we first started, we... Um, we had a friend help us build a mobile traveling store and we planned a cross country road trip. And, okay. uh, and so that happened in in May. I'm like, Hey, Carrie, you want to come on our road trip? And, uh, she said, yes. So she came on the road trip with us. We were gone for about 30 days. We went from New York to the U of the country, ended up in San Francisco. So I sat bitch the whole time, middle seat, the entire right in the middle seat. <laughs> and, uh, she got, you know, we, 30 days living and breathing the company. That was our, probably our plan to get her involved. And shortly thereafter, she, um, she decided we were just too cool and we're having too much fun that she had to jump on board. <laughs> That's the romantic version of the story. I like it. Well, it is such a fun brand. I'm curious, like where was the birth or the desire of like why the brand is the way it is? Uh, yeah, it was, it was um, my twin brother, Mike, who's our creative director. He was just, he's one of those people that was just born artistic and creative. And he also, also loved, he also loved clothes. So I think like some kids who starting at three or four years old, just love clothes. They love picking out their clothes for the day, what they wear. And I think Mike had that. 
he dressed me every day for most of my life. He still does. He makes my clothes, which is helpful. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think Mike, we grew up, um, we grew up in a little beach town on the Jersey shore. Uh, it's like a little surf town lived in, you know, grew up in the mid nineties when all those surf brands were kind of like mainstream. So Quicksilver and all those. And so that was a big part of clothing. And my brother and, and I moved to New York city right before high school. My dad was a commuter and didn't want to commute anymore. So then we moved to New York city and, uh, we're kind of like, Oh, those, you know, all that surf, the surf clothes, the surf brands we were now in New York city, you can't really find them, but the clothes in New York city, like, we, we, you know, there's some like, really amazing stuff you could find. And I think my brother, Mike was just infatuated with this idea of like creating a clothing brand with like the clothes he wanted to wear. Um, and that was, but, but felt as good as the ones he felt, you know, at the stores in New York city that he was going to, he wrote his college essay on starting Faraday. And since kind of freshman year of college, that's what I always knew I would do. Mike knew he was going to do that. And, um, he then ended up working at Ralph Lauren for his twenties. Uh, and I worked in a, in a finance job. You know, we kind of had that moment where we knew we were going to do this. And it was right about when we turned 30. And uh, yeah, we quit our jobs and went all in. It's all been uh, all, all been gravy ever since. <laughs> right. The rest is history. I know as an entrepreneur, it's all simple, right? <laughs> what everyone sees is the product of the hard work. But, you know, I think a lot of times we don't recognize all of the moving parts and all of the effort, all the late nights and early mornings, sometimes they tie together and and all of the human resource conversations that have to happen. You know, sure. I, I remember I have a friend who's my HR consultant and she said to me the other day, your company, they are not your family. <laughs> and I was like, what, what do you mean? They're not my family. And she's like, she told me that I was a bad leader. I love her. Thank you. <laughs> because I like, I need to be liked. And she said, you can't need to be liked and run a company. And I was like, hmm, amen, my codependency showing up in my leadership. And I think, you know, it's a, there's something so interesting about having relationships and like your heart connected to your work, Mm -hmm. because there is a protective element, of course. And there's also, for me, there's really a desire that my employees do feel like loved and supported and safe. And, you know, I remember reading a study of like what builds the ultimate corporate culture, like what are some of the foundational pieces of it? And one of them is one of the core, most important one ones is that the people feel psychologically safe to be themselves. Mm-hmm. And what I've discovered is that because there's such a long history for most people in workplaces that that's not true, that when it exists, it can feel untrue. Like it can feel like a false truth. Do you know what I mean? Like they don't trust it. And since you're both sort of like, creating it as you how many employees do you guys have now we have around 130 employees right so that's a lot of different people Mm -hmm. and a lot of different childhood experiences a lot of different emotions and they all can be triggered by workplaces they often are triggered by workplaces how have you navigated sort of your heart being attached to the brand and um you know carry it being called faraday's how does that sort of Mm -hmm. lend to your own identity yeah i mean I think when we started, you know, we're a family run brand. And so we, family is something that is really important. But I think what you said is true. Initially, we were just hiring people we already knew and loved. And we're like, come on board. And then a year later, we we're like, this isn't working. And then how do you navigate that relationship when you have such a close relationship with some of these people? So I think the culture of the brands 
really important. And I think kindness is something really is really important, but so is um, communication and feedback and transparency. And Alex and I and Mike, none of us went to business school. We didn't learn these type of skill sets in college. And so a lot of it has just been learning as we go. Mm. And I think our team and personnel, those are the things that keep us up at night. You know, Alex and I will be like 1130 and we're trying to go to bed and he'll be like, oh man, I'm really struggling with so-and-so. I'm like, can we not talk about this right now, Monday at 1130 at night? Um, But it does take a toll on you. Um, And I think when you are a leader who wants to be liked and you do really care about people's experience and it's not working well for either because of you or because of them, it's, it's definitely stressful. Yeah, it's it is to your point on every time you go through it, you you evolve a little bit more about a better way to handle it and a better way to do it and a better way to create a, you know, a, a work relationship from the beginning. Like, what are the boundaries? How is the communication working so that both people feel comfortable mm-hmm. in that relationship? And I think it's just time going, you know, making mistakes, and screwed up, screwed up so much of that stuff. Being both part of the leadership team and part and in a relationship, how do you separate? You know, it's like they say you have to separate church and state. Do you separate love and relationship? And and if so, how? I mean, to me, I'm like, please teach me. Like that's gotta be Yeah, I would say we 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 don't. <laughs> we don't really have boundaries yeah. Um we're getting better. Like there will be times when I'll bring something up or Alex will bring something up and we'll both be like, can we not go there right now? And that's all we need to do to shift gear. It's not like, why? We've learned enough to be like, okay, we don't have to go there right now. But I joke, I would say a year ago, we were really struggling with my role in the company and I was feeling really burned out and was ready for a change of pace. But I wasn't, I didn't want to leave Verity, but I didn't know where to put, I wanted to put my energy. And I remember Alex being like, you know, I don't, I don't think we can do this anymore. And me thinking like, well, I'm not leaving and you can't fire me. So (laughs) you're not my boss. So, you know, it's so much of navigating, I think is just having the tools to talk about how we're feeling and when, when we're getting to like the red zone, like can't go there right now. It is definitely uh, something that is very hard to do to, um, to separate the church and state of our relationship. And it definitely takes a toll on our personal relationship. And I think what we've realized over the last year is that we need time away together without our kids and kind of like just in another state or another environment. You know, it's like something about like, I don't think for five, five or six years, we ever went on a vacation together or did any, even if it's like a day away or two days away, it's just something about removing yourself from your situation. At least I've found that as like, we need those times to connect outside of the hustle and bustle of like every day we wake up, we go to bed, we go to work together, we leave work together, we have lunch together. Like we do everything together during the day. It's kind of, now that I'm saying it's kind of ridiculous, but we have to escape that world for us to, I think, connect intimately because it is really hard during the week. And it's it's interesting because the way you just described that we do everything together, it sounds like we're codependent, but we're actually <laughs> the opposite. Like we're actually so independent. Like we struggle with emotional intimacy because both of us are I'm like, I don't need you. And he's like, well, uh-huh. I don't need you either. And I'm like, well, we're going to work together. What do you want to talk about? So it's 
We're like, we better have this chat. We better have this chat. So, and I think sometimes when you spend all day with someone, um, I mean, we have two separate offices that are separated with plexiglass, so I can see them at all at all times. <laughs> but um, when you spend all day together, you kind of forget to ask like the most basic questions. Like we don't really say, how was your day? Because mm. we kind of seen each other all day. And so there's not really windows sometimes to like talk about what's going on in your emotional landscape when you're with someone all the time. Yeah, or I'm excited to see you. No, right. because I've seen you every minute. Like, I see you all the time. Like, can you have a new story? Can you have a new? Uh, yeah, I, I know in, because Kai and I have worked together before too, you know, like ran a course together and spoken together and those types of things. And, you know, and we both work from home. So we're around each other almost all the time. There is a intentional uh, like you were saying, like spending that time going on vacation together or doing those things together. There is something about actually scheduling in the intentionality of the intimacy, as you were saying, Alex, the intimacy that's so important because it's really easy, especially when there's no line between uh, work and home because they, you know, they're so synonymous, especially with COVID. I'm sure many people listening are like, oh, my partner's at home, I work at home and we, I have no privacy anymore. And oh my God. And for sure, there's been many relationships that have gone through a lot of stress, which makes sense. And I think it's because often we forget to preserve the sacredness of the actual union. You know, it's, and it's so easy to take the sacredness of the union for granted because you're like, yeah, but you're here and like you can hear my venting and you can hear, you know, and and we forget that 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 our partners shouldn't just get the worst parts of us. They should also get the best parts of us. And sometimes we don't have the same filters or emotional willpower uh, because we used it up at work, you know, um, and for you guys, like there's no line between those two, but there is a line between those two. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And presence is not intimacy, you know? Mm. So it's like you said, it's carving out time. Tell me more about that. Like if you're together, what's the difference between that presence of, let's say, being in the same room versus intimacy? I like that. Yeah. I think it's um, sharing parts of yourself that are, that are messy and vulnerable. And I think for a really long time, we thought we had such a great relationship because we never fought. Mm. But I think what was really happening was we weren't sharing some of like the unrest or frustrations that we were having inside. And so I think a lot of our intimacy now is really sharing parts of ourselves that are messy. And I might share something and I know that it might anger him. But my growth is saying how I feel as I feel it. It helps me show up more truly as myself in the world, even though I know it's going to be hard for him. But because of that, we've been able to deepen our understanding of each other because I'm showing him a truer version of myself than I probably was, you know, eight, 10 years ago. Mm, that must be nice. Although challenging, but like free. I I was like, uh, remember when you were... Remember when you didn't rock the boat? So much easier. <laughs> yeah, it is and it isn't. You know, it's a fascinating thing because it's like in order to share a space for you to be open, it invites that the space has to be shared with openness. So it's like the risk of like loving all parts of you is loving all parts of me, you know, in some way. So I'm curious for Alex, how did, you know, as she, as Carrie stepped into this more vocal 
which was the invitation of the relationship in, in the company, like we're either going to crack or move forward, which is, you know, I think the beautiful, I heard a quote not that long ago that was like hard conversations that are authentic, that invite truths, either fracture the relationship or deepen it. Either way they fracture it, but they deepen it. So I'm curious. Yeah. Right. It's like, what a freeing thing that is. And also freedom doesn't come with pain free. You know, (laughs) that's the misnomer I think we have. Yeah. You know, the hardest part has been my, I tend to take negative feedback from a loved one, let's just say Carrie, who I'm like, I want her to love everything about me, never be mad at me whatever that's like in my DNA of like always making sure that everyone likes me and she's not mad at me. And I take that when something upsets her that, um, you know, I get defensive. Mm, I know defensiveness. Well, yeah. Get very defensive. And like, why are you feeling this way? You shouldn't feel this way. That is like my natural reaction. And so that has been, I've had to break that down. That's a tough one. (laughs) That's like eating your own athletic shoe after your workout in the morning. Yeah. And so that's been the hardest thing for me is when she says something that sparks that you don't, what are you talking about? That's not true. I don't, that's not what I meant. That's not. And learning how to say like, understanding how she feels and caring for how she's feeling, even though that's hurt my feelings. is like that. And we also deal with it with family, right? Like if we critique family that we work with like it's also it's not that you know we work we work together we all work together so like there's times when mike's pissed at me carrie's pissed at mike carrie's pissed at me like having to work through those relationships too because i also tend to come to the defense of my brother um Mm -hmm. naturally as like it's like a twin you know a twin thing and not necessarily to carrie's defense so it's like that's a tricky yeah, hard to go home after that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, if making clothes and selling them is not hard enough. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Well, you know, it's a it's an interesting exploration of like does loyalty loyalty mean defending or does it actually mean like creating an open space where everyone's safe to share and like people's self-worth doesn't live in the feedback, which really is ultimately everyone's healing because all of our healing is that our self-worth is in what you think of me or, or, you know, it's so it's like your brand, you know, like if someone says that shirt's shit, I'm sure you're not like, Oh yeah, no big deal. It's one person. Like for me, if someone writes like a low review on my podcast, I'm a delicate flower. I'm like, Oh my God, I hurt someone's feelings or that happened. And, and I have to, I have to continuously learn to separate that. Like my self-worth isn't in that as a recovering defender, Alex, which I inherited from my family, for sure, from more of my mother's side, is I had to learn to say, I can see some truth in what you're saying when I would get feedback. And the first time uh, I practiced that was actually with Vienna, which if there's anyone who can trigger me into growth, it's Vienna. I love her for that. But she was like, you're being defensive right now. And I was like, "Mm, what's that fucking antidote I have to use? And I was like, I can see some truth in what you're saying. And I was like, (laughs) but what was so cool is I ended up in a conversation I'd never been in because I usually shut down and withdrew 
or like flipped it around. I was a master at flipping things around. I think they call it gaslighting in the psychology world. I was a master at it because I was so busy trying to protect myself. And I found that I was in conversations of depth and intimacy I'd never been in. I also found that when I stepped into that humility and curiosity of my partners or whoever's feedback, there was like a more vulnerable version of me present. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? That makes sense. But what something popped in my head was also when someone else is upset and they say something that then upsets you is to try and find, like, get yourself into the mode of like, they're the ones that are feeling upset, like focus on you or the problem more than they are the problem, meaning, meaning they have a problem. So like, uh, it's not just, it's not about me. This yeah. is about Carrie. This is about Carrie's feelings is about trying to help Carrie through these feelings. And I'm still like, that's that when I have these different conversations, I just had a conversation like this with my mom that was like a similar, it was like a difficult conversation it was like, how do you put yourself into their shoes of like, mm. wait, they're feeling this way for a reason, except that that feeling is real. Yeah. I mean, I think there's nothing more disheartening mm-hmm. than sharing what's upsetting you and then having that person make it about them. And now suddenly you're dealing with their feelings when really the point of co- the conversation was to share your own feelings. Well, Carrie, it's that's like our trick. That's, that's our that's trick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's gaslighting. Uncomfortably true. I don't like admitting it on my own show, but yes, <laughs> That's the trick is like to make it about the self. So there's not, you know, which is interesting because it's like when I hear someone else upset with me, as you were saying, Alex, to be able to separate their upset is actually separate from my worth, which I think as kids that develops generally from like the desire to not to, to gain the approval and keep the peace in the family, you know, like my family, we didn't have a lot of conflict, which doesn't mean there wasn't conflict. It just means we didn't, we didn't necessarily watch like my parents repair. You know, I heard them have conflict, but it wasn't like overtly aggressive or anything like that. But isn't it so interesting that like, we don't see our parents repair in public. They usually repair in private. And so then we never really see how conflict gets resolved. You know, I saw my mom get defensive and would shut down, like hang up the phone on me or like leave the room. And there was never, I often, and I've shared this with her. So this isn't like, you know, some people are like, oh, he's talking about his mom now. Oh, no, she knows this, which is there was never an opportunity for me to safely share how I was feeling and there'd be space to do it. So I just shut off sharing how I was feeling. And so it's, it's such an interesting learned dance when your relationship partner is like, Hey, you know, that shit that you haven't dealt with, let me bring it to you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I had a similar situation growing up, Mark. And so I'm so proud of myself now for sharing how I'm feeling, even if it's anger or upsetness Mm -hmm. or whatever, because I, I, we just didn't have those tools growing up. So when I share and then Al gaslights and then I yell, do the fucking work, like that's our pattern. <laughs> and, um, but I do feel like we're moving through it of just like, how do we just hold this, that space for each other? Um, mm. and Cause both are protective, you know, they both, both come protective. from protective yeah, spaces. Right. I think the gaslighting gets the worst, the, you know, as someone who's a recovering defender and gaslighter, it gets the worst uh, sort of opinion of its practice but in you know it's a 
it's still a form of survival. You know, it's still a protective mechanism to not deal with hurt, to not get hurt, to not feel pain, to not feel unworthiness. Just like shutting down and not sharing your feelings is the exact same thing, or overwhelmingly sharing your feelings in a different way, in a way that automatically triggers our nervous system. You know, because yeah. sometimes people are like, this is just who I am and this is just how I share. And I'm like, well, that was aggressive. You know, my nervous system's like, <laughs> alert, alert. You know, and so it is a practice of both people. You have to be a safe space for someone to uh, step into a, a, a moment of intimacy and conversation they've never been in. And then the other thing that gets tricky is when you, when someone's expressing a need or an issue, you have in your mind an expectation of how you want them, how you want them to react and you want them to react the way your best friend would react or your sister would react. And it's, you know, that's not necessarily always the case. And <laughs> no. so it's like that expectation too, that your spouse may not act and be exactly the person that you want them to be in that moment and working through that and dealing with that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's such a sharing that space of the beautifulness of like allowing each other to be human and still love each other, you know, which is ultimately what we're all looking for. Yeah, I'm not, you know, I'm not Shannon Carey's sister. Like I'm Alex and I have my own issues and so I'm not necessarily going to like. <laughs> Shout out to Shannon. Way. Shout out to Shannon. Yeah. What's up, Shannon? <laughs> She's a therapist. So she oh. handles emotions very well. Oh yeah. yeah. But you can't cool. be baselined against a therapist. That's just not fair. And then I come to the argument. Well, Shannon said that. Um, <laughs> oh, that's you're just, nice. You're displaying aggressive tendencies. Shannon, <laughs> Shannon would never act like this. I told her something like this. You know, I was just recently listening to a podcast from uh, Brene Brown and Harriet Lerner. And Harriet Lerner is just a fucking genius of relationship. Uh, pardon my language, Harriet. And she was saying that, uh, one, she was saying that you can't apologize to someone expecting them to apologize back for their part. And Brene Brown was like, I'm not on board with that. <laughs> I was, it was so funny. But one thing she said is, when you bring other people into the mix, right? It's not fair because it brings forward someone else's opinion that that person doesn't get to then, like they're being benchmarked against someone in that moment. And so it causes more shutting down and more shame. And to be benchmarked against a therapist, Carrie, I mean, that's, that's know, pretty. It's not fair. It's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> I got you. I got you back. I got you. Point, what's happening right now? <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Exactly. So um, Alex and I are just going to gang up on you. If that's okay. Well, no, but it's interesting because when she said that, I was like, oh man, I do that sometimes. Like, hey, you know, this isn't what, this isn't what I, now I should just ask, what would Harriet do? That should be my new uh, modus of uh, operation, but it's uh, in doing that. What is your real request of Alex? You know, like when you say like, Shannon wouldn't do that. Shannon's getting a lot of shout outs here. Yeah, it's good. I'm just saying, will you hear me? Mm. Can you hear me? What Shannon does that you like is. Right. Is just hold the space and listen. And when yes. you hear right, Carrie, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right, Carrie. <laughs> That's the problem. Is <laughs> Carrie wants to be like, you're right, Carrie. You're so smart. You're a genius. What happens if instead it was, I hear you and your feelings are valid, which doesn't mean you agree with them. Yeah, exactly. Right? I find that's a hard thing, which is I don't have to agree with what you feel, but I can at least acknowledge that you have the right to feel it. And you know, I'm not but saying it. But then you want to argue why you shouldn't be feeling that way. Yeah. If, cause she 
one thing Harriet said was that it's hard to hold an apology if you're not standing on a solid space of self-worth. Mm. And that's how I felt that one. Cause I was like, I mean, is that always true? <laughs> Are there any <laughs> exceptions to that? Cause, but I realized that if you can apologize and hold the space for an apology or even the space for someone else's feelings, you know, this idea that, and I think this is true of all political things and in all things right now, but true always is two truths can always exist. And one doesn't invalidate the other is that can the container of the relationship hold the two truths and still the truth that unites you is the truth of unconditional love for one another, you know, and that's, that's a work in progress. I, I mean, for me. And to, I think to Carrie's, you know, if I'm Carrie going through this, right. as like someone, you know, Carrie's been going to therapy for a long time and I haven't, and I definitely am like less evolved when it comes to how to communicate is also that, you know, a little bit of that expectation of like, what do you want? Like, I, I'm not going to be what Shannon is to you, but how do I, how do I myself like be the best version that I can be to get Carrie what she needs? Mm. That's definitely something I, you know, as someone who wants to, to your point, like going back to like being a people pleaser, right? It's not just about me being, before I think it was about me being right. Like you're not, like your feelings aren't valid. Like you shouldn't feel that way. And I think now it's understanding like how I react to things and just like trying to reflect on that in the moment that it's said to me. It's like that mm-hmm. when you get that feeling, that energy rush of like, uh, how, yeah. do you, how do you like have that, like understand that feeling like as it's hitting you and like know what your tendencies are to do and like, what don't you want to do? And that's like repetition, you know, in oh, a way. Such practice. Which is hard because that's the work that you don't want to do because it's hard and it makes you cry or it makes you stressed. It makes, you know, it makes you uncomfortable. And, you know, but each one of those repetitions and iterations are like helping, you know, frame your brain a little bit. Mm-hmm. Change the way it's wired. And, you know, the line that Harriet Lerner uses in her book, Dance of Anger, which is fantastic. I'm just going to shout her out all the time too. And it's, she says that responsibility is choosing your uh, ability to respond, mm. you know, like taking responsibility for our emotions and what you're really pointing out is that. And I think that's where some, a practice, even like meditation is so important because mm-hmm. you learn to be able to respond, not react and creating that space between what you want to do and what um, is right to do, I think is really, it's helpful. And you started your a meditation practice yeah. recently and I think As- you've it's been helpful. Has that been helpful in terms of like create? Because I found meditation sort of has extended that microsecond between response and react uh, into three seconds. You know, it's changed it for me that I observe the desire to protect or defend. Uh, but then I'm like, mm, what's connective right now? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm at the I've been meditating consistently since February. Mm, and um, if, if I don't meditate in a day, like I, I feel a difference. Like I will feel a difference in how I react and how I read things and how my body experiences things. So it's become like a super, super important, you know, it's like exercise now. You know, it used to be just exercise was the thing. Mm-hmm, same. 
And now it's like X, X, you know, exercise plus meditation and then throw in some hallucinogenetics, you know, and uh, <laughs> boom. Yeah. You know, it's like consciousness <laughs> expanding, whatever your modus operandi is. Yeah. And Surfing I was just, thinking, and I was just thinking one thing about, um, you know, like, be, you know, Carrie's probably, you know, frustration in like going through this with me. Um, definitely like she's been carrying me along, you know, I'm sure her was like, can he get there? Like, it's really hard to be in a relationship with someone when you're trying to have these type of conversations in this type of relationship and they don't want to go there, which I think is like a downfall in a lot of people's relationships. So like making, understanding like that was definitely a realization that in order to make Carrie happy, I need to do this and I need to be able to meet her somewhere. It's not going to be exactly where she wants me to be, but you know, close. Might be. Uh, Yeah. You know, and that's the, I mean, I'd celebrate both of you and acknowledge both of you for before we ever had, you know, a conversation about having this conversation. I was like, are you guys open to going into it? And you're both like, yes, you know, (laughs) and I celebrate you both for that because I think behind, you know, success, people don't see the level of vulnerability and the stress and all the things. And just that you're doing the work, like you're actually doing the work. And I, you know, it, you know, that's why when we ganged up on you, you know, it was a pre-agreed <laughs> that we could have these conversations. Carrie does not have any self-worth issues, Mark. That is one thing <laughs> she does not. <laughs> wow. If that was true, then she would have an easy time expressing herself, you know, and that's, okay. she would because Carrie would be like, oh, I don't worry about what I say. This is just what no, she'd be like. She has amazing self-worth. Well, now I do. Now. I don't have amazing, well. The evidence is through the action, you know, and that's mm-hmm. what I find is so cool. It's like, as you step into more communication, Alex, I'm sure you sort of reach more compassion for yourself. I found though, that as I got to know more of my emotionality and I was present when I was present with people's feedback, I also felt grief that wasn't, that wasn't new from the moment. It was old grief, old grief of how I'd felt or old grief of sort of ignoring myself, ignoring the kid in me. Um, and I'm curious if you've had a similar thing, both of you, because you both have stepped into different ways of communicating or anger too. I haven't, I haven't had that feeling of bringing up at least that I, that I can recognize of like bringing up old grief, but Carrie definitely brings up old grief for you. Like when I'm saying something or you, or you'll, or you'll be still like something that happened years ago will like get brought up again. Ah, so it hasn't been atoned fully. Whenever anything old gets brought up, it's usually because there's like some residue of it not having been fully atoned or acknowledged. You know, whenever I've seen people work through things like infidelity, for example, because that's an easy one, you know, when it gets brought up years later and the other person's like, this was years ago, why are you bringing that up? And it's like, there's an opportunity in that moment to continue to repair, but often we want to defend. And, you know, it's like uh, when we argue about the wet towel on the bed or leaving the toilet seat up, it's usually not about that thing. You know, it's about like, you don't listen. I don't feel important. What you said earlier about, and I think it's just so common of relational structures, is that, you know, we have our female partner who, and I'm speaking heteronormatively for the people listening, but it could be any gender combination is that, but more traditionally, females are better at communicating their emotions because they're socialized and all of those things to be better at it. Um, Not always true. 
but men, we sort of stonewall. We, we like don't know how to go there. We don't know how to reach into that. We don't know how to hold space for our partner's feelings because no one's there. The world doesn't hold space for men's feelings. And that's not from a space of victimization, just socialization. I, I noticed like in my partner and I's relationship, she was the one who was like, I need to fix this or figure this out. And I was like, hey, I got this figured out. And so it was like this interesting hierarchy that we had created where I knew how to communicate and she didn't. And so her identity that there's something wrong with me kept being facilitated by me holding on to like, Hey, you have to figure it out. It's you who's not showing up. It's, and so it never gave her a chance to show up and Mm -hmm. it never. And so like in Harriet's uh, words, it's like, I kept over functioning so that she could under function as opposed to like giving her the space to step into full functioning and me actually go into regular normal, you know, not like trying to get, I mean, this will never happen in my life trying to get Kai to read a book because Kai reads a thousand books, but you know, like trying to get them to do the thing when it's really about giving them space to do the thing after you make the request, which I'm curious how that sort of lands for you both. So how does that land for me? I think some of it is, that yes, Carrie will proclaim that she's done the work and she's, you know, she's the one constantly bettering herself and I'm not, which is true. That's a hundred percent true in a lot of ways. Um, but I think sometimes I think where, where we found, I think some success over the past year is not this, I'm better than you at it. But like, we got to figure this out together and we're in this, like we're a team. And I think that's, to me, at least I've, I've seen a shift in her mindset from where it was a year ago. And it's not just like, you got to do this on your own. I'm not like, unless you get to where I am, like, I'm, it's not even like, you're not even close. So like finding that balance of, I'm, I'm not going to get to you, but I'm, I'm, I'm climbing, you know, I'm pulling the line, you know, I'm pulling the rope. Yeah. Cause I think when one partner has, and I, I don't want to keep saying doing that does the work, but when one partner is like better skilled at communicating, we can weaponize that against mm-hmm. someone who's yeah. not as skilled. Um, and it only, it only perpetuates the problem because it ends up Alex feeling frustrated that once again, he doesn't have the tools he wants to have for us to be able to resolve this conflict. And so similar to what Alice said, it's not me being like, well, then do the fucking work and leaving the room. Me being like, okay, if I do have the better tools, then how can I actually now be holding the space for him as he is navigating this internally? Yeah. I mean, that's, gosh, all of this is such practice. You know, it's like, how do you, I've just recently started doing somatic work where I work with a somatic therapist and like discover the edge of my nervous system response. And it's so interesting to learn like where my body starts to shut down or like my heart rate goes up all from like a template that I had as a kid and to see how that affects my romantic relationships today, it's bananas Mm -hmm. and how much that work has helped me. Yeah. And if you don't, you know, so much of this is so much of this is the mutual respect that you have for each other, how much you care about the other person, how much you love the other person verse. And that's where like, if you don't figure out the issues with why is she frustrated me? Cause I, you know, I leave my clothes on the ground all the time and I don't do this. Like if you don't work through those, right. These little things the when bigger issues come up, 
you know, and you're mad at the person from something else that you never resolve. Like it just like it just spirals out of control mm-hmm. pretty quickly. So I think that's what I've definitely learned is like these things have to be resolved really quickly because one on top of another on top of another, like you can't, then you get to the crescendo, which is actually a meaningful moment where the other person's upset mm-hmm. and you're ready, you're, you're frustrated at them for two other things. Like you're just never, it's going to be so hard to meet them in that, you know, in a space that you can actually resolve something. So what in the last, uh, you said year and a half, everyone's been dabbling in therapy and coaching, right? Yeah. So what are you both most proud of about each other in what you've witnessed in the last since, or maybe since the birth of your relationship and then also more recently? I'd, I'd love to hear that. Well, it's crazy to think that, I mean, we've been together 20 years. That's wow. Because we're yeah. only, I don't know, 18, 19 years. I met when we were 18. I mean, it really is incredible to see how much we've evolved both individually and as a couple. And I think the growth is, each of us feeling more comfortable to share how we're feeling as we feel it and have it not erupting into something bigger and more trust that when we share things, the other person's going to be able to handle it. What are you proud of Alex for specifically? I'm really, well, I'm really proud of him because number one, he's an incredible dad, really present with the kids. And I think really allows our kids to be sensitive and like how he helps navigate their emotions is really beautiful. It's not like stop crying, you know, which I think is kind of how a lot of like masculine toxicity gets passed down. Like the young boy can't cry. We have a, we have a a daughter and a, a young son, but I'm really proud of him because I think he, you Al, like really want to, you become more and more curious about like what it means to be Alex beyond just like what you do and beyond Faraday. And I think it's really easy to, when you're a business owner, fully identify with your business such that you become one and the same. And I think for Alex to start to navigate your self-worth and your value beyond just what you do has been, I mean, I think really expanding for you. And I have felt that as a wife too, in a really Mm. great way. Cool. What about for you, Alex? Well, I think in our relationship is, that, you know, we've been together for 20 years. We met in college. We've now been building this company together that we have figured out a way that we still very much enjoy each other. And our relationship is not based on like, we need each other. We, you know, it's just based on a mutual respect and like love for the other person Hmm. that I think is amazing. So like, I am like, I look at Carrie and be like, she's an amazing person. Like, I'm so lucky to be married to her. She's an amazing mom. So like, I like, there's a big appreciation that, and that hasn't like through all this, like that hasn't gone away. So time and the company and all this shit we've been through, (laughs) um, you know, we're still there, which is, I think pretty, pretty amazing. And, uh, and I think Carrie, you know, what I'm proud about her is like, she's, you know, she is someone who doesn't identify as like a overachiever doer. Because I think some of it's like, she doesn't want to be in that, put in that kind of like, that's who she is. But it's amazing how many people and things she has her hands on that she's able to dedicate like her, like her time and efforts to, to make other people around her happier. That's beautiful. How does it feel to hear each other share those things? It feels so good. (laughs) 
feels okay. I don't really like compliments. <laughs> right. Yeah. The, well, what I love about what, I mean, obviously I can tell there's a deep admiration and respect for one another. And, and that has cultivated the desire to be, to find humility and to learn and to accept what we're not good at. And, you know, what I love is the way that we all met was through the desire for your company to help facilitate that. And, you know, and attending a work, I guess, giving a workshop, I was giving one at your, at your store in Soho. And I'm curious why that became like a desire for the company to be like, okay, we're going to partner with this marriage and family therapist. And it's really important to us to have these conversations. So I'm curious where that came from and why it was important to the brand. Yeah. I mean, community is everything to us. Um, so obviously on a day-to-day basis, we wake up and want to design great products, but the thing that is most life-giving is time with like family and friends and people we love. And so soon after we started the brand, I was having music and meditation in my apartment and it started with like 25 people. And then I got to 45 people and I thought like, this is something we could incorporate into our brand. And so we we started a series called Sun Sessions, which are nights of community and conversation and creativity. And it's just really bringing in good people with good vibes and good conversation. And Vienna's become a dear friend of mine and um, opening up our space to people we love to host these type of events that I think like lifts and elevates consciousness. Mm-hmm. And it has, you know, the clothes are comfy and it's and beautiful and that's great. But really having our our arms around something like even bigger and more impactful, which is something that you can't like wear. It's not tangible. It's like how we feel when we're together. I love that because that's such an important, you know, that goes into how fabrics are chosen. That goes in to add the feeling of a piece the of clothing, feeling. right? Yeah. Is that it's done with intention. And you could tell, you know, it's kind of like when, have you ever seen those experiments where they have like two plants and they talk with love to one and yeah. they send like negative vibes to the other one. And it actually changes how the plants, it changes how the plants actually grow by how you treat them. And I think that's so true of, of like, putting on a piece of, I am not doing an ad for them, everyone, by the way, (laughs) but like, I find that that is true with my experience of the clothing, which is that it, it is, it is created with an intention of love and community. I also really love surf culture. So to me, it's like a, because surfing is where I find flow. I find like it demands presence. Like if you are not present during surfing, you get your ass kicked. And even if you are present, you get your ass kicked. So it's like this beautiful and I don't think there's anything better than merging sort of that surf style with with uh, comfort. So mm-hmm. I appreciate the love and intention that you both put, that all of the family puts into your company. You know, it's just that every day when we make something, right, it comes from the people who own the company, who care, and just like, we just care so much about the stuff we make and how great it, you know, how, how much the customer is going to love it. And it's like the chef, you know, like that great chef who just cares about all the ingredients and everything that goes into it. And like every meal, you know, you just, you just kind of know what you just want it to be that best meal. Mm -hmm. I think that's a lot about how we approach everything we make is like that intentionality of what, you know, the chef at your favorite restaurant would, would put into everything that they make. Yeah. So that people enjoy it. When don't you have like, what's your policy on returns too? It's like some crazy. It's a lifetime guarantee. Right. Like 
that just shows the level of care and like just that you care about people's experience of the brand, like a lifetime guarantee. Like that's, that's bananas, you know, in so many ways. And thus far I have had them for, Oh, I probably have my flannel shirt for like three years now and it is still wearing well. And I wear it a lot. There's no doubt. I do. (laughs) And the hat and that hat I love, you know, I'm just like, I'm so grateful that, uh, there's a merger of sort of like passion and heart behind a brand that I'm just so I'm in love with too. And so, and the fact that you're both so open and vulnerable about your experience of working together, I knew that there would be so much gold for people listening, not just from a business perspective, but I think a relational perspective. I definitely got a few knee squeezes along the way on this podcast, Mark. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I usually get a shin kick. That's, uh... <laughs> well, Mark, we appreciate you holding this space for us because a lot of it is like who you're talking to, you know, creating these safe spaces such that people can get real. So we appreciate you. Well, thank you. And I can't wait for the world to open up again so I can finally do an event in New York, you know, at the Faraday store, because we had that planning before the world fell apart. And to me, like, it's, it's all about bringing community back, you know, in person, you know, I'm done with fucking zoom and shit. Like I'm ready to eat a burrito with people and talk about love and all the things so thank you both for being such open books and and sharing yourselves with us appreciate it thanks mark thanks mark